Amen. King of my heart. When we sing that, that is a worship statement. He's the king of my heart. He's not just the king of my behaviors. He's not just the king of my calendar, but he's the king of my heart first. Now that's something that the people of Israel in the book of Amos needed to hear, needed to live. And we had a week off from Amos last week for Mother's Day. But we're covering Amos 4 and 5 today, an attempt to get to know God better. Thank you, Nick. An attempt to understand him more, relate to him more through these two chapters. So if you weren't here, I want to give you a chance to catch up because, first of all, go check out Chad's message from Amos 3 a couple of weeks ago. A lot of what we hear today was built off of that. But to help us catch up, just briefly, check out this video from The Bible Project. The next theme is Amos's repeated accusations of Israel's idolatry. So remember, when the northern kingdom broke away from southern Judah, their king built two new temples to rival Solomon's in Jerusalem, and he placed a golden calf in each. Remember 1 Kings chapter 12. Since then, Israel had only accumulated more idols, worshiping the gods of sex and weather and war. And in the prophet's view, the worship of these gods always led to injustice because these gods don't require the same degree of justice and righteousness as the God of Israel, not to mention that these gods were immoral themselves, not the God of Israel. He's different. So he can say in one place, seek me that you may live. And then right after that, say to Israel, seek good, not evil that you may live. So true worship of the creator God of Israel, it's synonymous with doing good, with generosity and with justice. And so the final theme in these chapters is that because Israel and its king have rejected Amos and the other prophets, God will send the day of the Lord. This is a great and terrible act of justice on Israel. And specifically, Amos predicts that a powerful nation will come and conquer and decimate their cities and take the people away into exile. And we know his prediction came true. Some 40 years later, the Assyrian Empire swooped in and did exactly as Amos had said. You know, in some ways, I think that the book of Amos is one of the most pointed warnings for our culture as well, because a lot of what they're experiencing is that life is pretty good. Like, business is good, relationships are good, politically things are good, everyone kind of feels good. They're doing that temple thing every week, they're, they're giving their gifts and, and doing their offerings, everybody feels like things are kind of going fine and almost completely missing this dire warning that Amos has to give them because of how far out of line they are with God. And so as we think about that, as you think about that, that's why some of the warnings that Amos gives are really built into the context of his moment, his time, and a specific point in history. And yet God has given us this book because there are motifs, there are themes, there are principles that we can draw out of this that help us check our own hearts and try to lean back toward what God just described, seek me and live, seek good and live. And so these two chapters really come in four parts that we're going to look at today. Now the first part is that Israel has a two-fold problem. Self-centered resources and self-centered worship. And, and the solution to that would be seek me and seek good. But in the second part, we see that despite God's efforts to bring them back, Israel does not respond. And so in the third part, Israel has a twofold problem <laughs> self centered resources and self centered worship. And nothing has changed for them. And because of that, 
In the fourth part, we're going to see how God responds. And that's actually where I want to start, in that fourth part. It's what that Bible Project video just referred to as the day of the Lord. Now, as a Christ follower living in 2021, when we hear that phrase, we think of the day of the Lord when Jesus will come back. When he will once and for all fully and finally deal with evil and there will be no more tears, no more pain. And a Christ follower forgiven in Jesus will dwell with God forever. For a Christ follower, it's an incredible encouragement. What Amos is speaking to the people of Israel in this moment is a near-term day of the Lord. A moment when God is going to deal with injustice and that because of how they have ignored him, that actually means he's going to have to deal with them. So listen to how he puts this in chapter 5. We're going to do both chapters, but I want you to catch this first. This is not on the screen, so just, just listen as you hear Amos speak to the people. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Hear this word which I take up against you, a lamentation, O house of Israel. Now, now this is God speaking and God himself saying that he laments over what he's about to say. The virgin of Israel has fallen. She will rise no more. She lies forsaken on her land. There is no one to raise her up, for thus says the Lord God. The city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left. And that which goes out by a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. Jump over to verse 16. It says, Therefore the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this, There shall be wailing in all streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas! Alas! They shall call the farmer to mourning and skillful lamenters to wailing. In all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. Remember in Exodus when he brought them out of Egypt, he said, I will pass over. But here he says, I will pass through. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Which would almost be funny if it wasn't so sad. <laughs> or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall. The picture is they're trying to escape. They're trying to run from the reality of what they're doing. Run from the lion, meet the bear. Run into your house, you think you're at rest. It will be as if a man walked into the house leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? I want to say God bless the reading of his word. And these are heavy words. I'll admit when Chad and I were first reading through Amos, this is the part where I could almost feel myself bracing against the text. Never a good thing. <laughs> and I, I think just a little bit of nudging from the Spirit, I realized, I literally, put my Bible down, stop to pray, like, God, if there's a message I need here, I don't want to miss it. Would you help me just to understand you more as I read Amos? And the heart of the Father that we have seen throughout this book is that he never wants it to get to this point. He never wants to speak to his children that the day of the Lord is coming and will be darkness for them instead of victory. 
And that's what's given to us all throughout the New Testament is that in Jesus Christ, the victory is already won. That when we look forward to the day of the Lord, we say, death, where is your sting? That that's what God longs for for us. So how did we get here and how do we avoid it? Well, we want to avoid the twofold problem that Israel had. We want to avoid self-centered resources and self-centered worship. You see, that is essentially how they got stuck in this place. So go back to the beginning of chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 1 and just see how Amos lays this out for them. He says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who say to your husbands, Bring wine, let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, Behold, the days shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. You will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her, and you will be cast into Harmon, says the Lord. All right, that's a picture of the captivity that they're going into. But, but check this out, because we decided this probably wouldn't be that good for Mother's Day. He just called all the women of Israel wine-guzzling fat cows. The cows of Bashan were known for being big and healthy, well-fed, shall we say. And he just called every woman in Israel a cow of Bashan. You see, the picture here is that there is something going on that because of God's holiness, he has to deal with. And the picture he paints is essentially that while they are enjoying affluence, they're ignoring and withholding justice from the poor. They're oppressing and crushing the needy. And so in one sense, it's not that the, you listen to the way that Amos says this. The problem is not affluence. The problem is that their affluence has switched into self-indulgence. That's what I mean by self-centered resources. It has become such that for each of them, the primary thing that they're thinking about is what's in it for me? How do I set myself up for success? How do I make sure that I'm comfortable? And once I'm comfortable, how do I make sure that I'm just enjoying life? Now, did any of those sound like terrible things? Well, not necessarily. But as we've seen through this book, part of what happens is we become so insulated, we don't see the needs of the people around us, and they were no longer trying to understand, as God had instructed them in the law, how do I help the poor and the needy be set up for success? How do I help the person who, has, who doesn't have what I have? How do I help others... How do I invest in others that they too might know God's blessing in their lives? But notice, as he goes on in verse 4, before it ever becomes a behavior problem, it's actually a worship problem. Verse 4, you are going to find out exactly how sarcastic God can be. So if you thought God was always shooting straight, here's, here's one of the most sarcastic moments I've ever found in the Bible. Come to Bethel and transgress. Okay, hold on a second. Transgress means sin. It means break God's law, go against God's standard, and ignore God. God says, come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifice every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, which they're not supposed to. Proclaim and announce the freewill offerings for this you love. You children of Israel. Says the Lord God. 
Like, God, you are laying it on pretty thick here. But if you remember, let me, let me show you a picture. You remember this picture from a couple of weeks ago? Chad showed us this golden calf for one specific reason. A king in Israel who didn't like that everyone was spending their money in Jerusalem said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build two of my own temples in cities that God did not tell us to worship in. He says, come to Jerusalem to do the offerings. Builds two golden calves in two different temples in two different cities and tells everybody, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. To which everyone says, well, I mean, he's the king. He probably knows better than I do. I mean, he's got the scrolls, right? I haven't really read the Bible. He seems to know what he's talking about. And so, okay, great. Like, have you read nothing in the Bible? This was the first mistake they made when they came out of Egypt. They built a golden calf and treated it like God. Like, build a golden eagle or something else. I don't know. It's exactly the same problem they keep going back to. And so on one sense, we could say, how dare you worship a golden calf, right? Focus on the behavior issue. But before that, foundationally, is that they've got a worship problem. Everything else that's coming out of them, or not, in terms of generosity or kindness, taking care of the poor, is because at the foundation, their hearts are not after God. Now, we might be in a little bit of a different position than them today. But if I'm honest with you, this is probably something that I needed to hear much earlier in my life. You know, I grew up in the suburbs around Chicago, and so I spent plenty of time in the city. And I don't know where I picked it up because it wasn't from my family, it wasn't from my school, and it wasn't from my church. But I knew, that this is going to sound, I hope this sounds really harsh, so this is not the part you clip and then like post to Facebook or something. I knew poor people are poor because they're druggies or they're lazy. Everybody just knows that, right? And so when I spent time, anytime I was in Chicago, I knew that's why I'm not going to help them. It's their own fault anyway. Which, never mind the fact that God loves people who have a drug problem. God loves people who are lazy. God loves people who are filled with lust. God loves people who gossip. God loves people who tell lies to their parents. God loves every person created in his image. And when I'm walking by a person, categorizing them and ignoring them, God is saying, that man, that woman is made in my image and I've designed them to be Christ-like. You realize my problem was not just kind of a self-centeredness. My problem was a worship problem. Right? If, I'm, if I was looking to God first, if I was looking in here and saying, God, what do you think about this? I know that it's not always as easy as like, there's still things like, what is it that will really help somebody? Yeah, but that was not the question that I was asking. I wasn't asking any questions. I just didn't want to. I just had a bad attitude and a lack of worship. And a lot of times I think, if I'm just speaking for myself, that's a cop-out. For things that God would ask me to do, for ways that God would ask me to obey, I just don't feel like it, and then I come up with excuses. <laughs> and what I've learned kind of on the journey in my life is that I, I sort of wanted to think of myself as a generous person, even though I wasn't. One of the other times this really caught me was in college when Melissa and I were still dating. We were attending this little church. And I remember thinking, like, I am a generous person. I even give to my church. And, like, at the end of the year, they send out this giving statement. And it says, 100 bucks. 52 weeks, I gave 100 bucks. Which means, like, like, two or three times in the entire year, 
And, and I was working. I was working two jobs at the time. Like, well, maybe I'm not as generous as I think I am. And so I flipped. I flipped. I said, okay, well, then like, God's going to be mad at me. So where's the thing? I think it says 10%. Okay, budget time. And I started like 10%. Like, we're going to do the math and we're going to get it down to the penny. I'm even going to round up a little bit. You hear this, right? It's not because I was generous. It's not because I was a joyful giver. It's because I'm trying not to get in trouble with God. That's a legalism. That's a moralism, right? I've just shifted the problem to now trying to compete with the law and hope that my 10% matches up with 10% and I better do it on the gross instead of the net and hopefully God will be happy with this thing. Do I have to go back for the years I missed? Well, I won't worry about that right now. Okay, I'm letting you way too deep into my own heart here today, but this is how human beings work far too often. This is where Israel was. And in fact, you see the exact same thing again in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 10 says, They hate the one who rebukes in the gate, okay, the one who's trying to correct their behavior. They abhor the one who speaks uprightly, therefore because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him. Though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore, the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Again, you see, the problem is not the vineyards. The problem is not the houses of hewn stone. The problem is that I sit in my vineyard, I sit in my house of hewn stone, and I don't care what goes on beyond that. It's not my problem. When God is sitting here and saying, they're made in my image. Who is out there? Where is there a need that you might be able to meet? That you might have an opportunity, an expertise, or a resource to benefit somebody in the name of God, in the name of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what's so challenging to me about this picture. It says that they were charging grain taxes. According to the law that they were living by, or should have been at this time, they were actually supposed to tithe grain to those who are in need. And instead, they're charging grain from those who are in need. But again, before it's a behavior problem, it's a worship problem. Look over at chapter 5, verse 21. Imagine... I don't know that he is saying this to you, but just imagine what this sounds like. God's words to his people, I hate. I despise your feast days. And I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water. And righteousness like a mighty stream. Now just pause there for a second. Can you imagine what this would feel like for them to hear this from Amos? This is why Amos is not so popular. He's calling everybody fat cows. He's telling them that their their music is just noise. I mean, for them, it would feel like they're doing that religious thing, right? Hey, Amos, lay off, man. You're like getting all on this God thing. I go to temple every week. I get all pumped up. I sing my favorite songs. I even, we do some offerings and sacrifices. Like as far as they're concerned, they're checking every religious box. But you saw in that video, we saw in chapter three, you saw that picture of the golden calf. They're not actually worshiping God. They're worshiping. They're sacrificing to something. They're giving to something. 
But it's not God. It's not his kingdom and it's not his plan. Now, I think you guys get this. I, I think as you hear this, I don't want this to be like a, a beatdown for you guys. In fact, we were talking with the, uh, the band this morning. It was a few weeks ago. I asked a few of the guys in our worship team, I said, hey, tell me, what's like your favorite song to do, you know, here in the equipping service? Those, those worship songs that we get to sing together. And they each listed one. And so then I asked them, like, okay, now, like I asked Mike, is that because it's got like a really sweet bass lick that you just get to like go to town on that thing? It's just really fun to play? And to a man, they said, well, no, really, what, what you got to think about is when the whole song comes together, because that helps all of us have a chance to really connect with God that morning. And I thought, I don't, I don't know what I expected. I think I half expected, like, which one's really fun? And they are fun to play too, but, but man, did that just kind of like turn my heart in a little bit of a, a healthier direction. You know, I, I loved hearing that. That when we gather in this place, yes, I get pumped up. I love the energy here. I love seeing people who are back for the first time sitting in the tent, sitting here in the chapel. You know, I love hearing from people who are watching online and saying, this is what encouraged me this week. God spoke to my heart through that. That is good. But the difference between Amos, for us, is when I come in this place, ultimately my worship is for God. I'm encouraged because I connect with God while I'm here. And I hope that's true for you too. Even the songs we sang this morning, you hear how every song is focused on Christ. And we're even careful to make sure that we include songs that say, you are good. Because I don't just want to sing about God, I want to sing to God. That when we come to this place, everything we do here is about him. Everything we do here is about him. Because he goes on in verse 25 to say, Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? They would say, We sure did. He would say, You also carried Sukkoth, your king, and Chion, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Like, what idols do we need to leave behind to focus on worshiping him? Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Now, that's the heavy moment, right? That's the captivity. That's the punishment that has ultimately come. But in God's law, you can actually, we're not going to do this right now, but if you go back to Leviticus 26, God actually lays out perfectly all the blessings he has planned. Then he tells them that if you disobey, this is kind of what Chad talked about with chapter 3, I'm going to give you just a little, little tweak, let you see just a little bit of the pain that that causes so that you'll realize, ouch, oh, man, we were going the wrong way. If you ignore me, I'll give you a little bit more because I want you to come back. If you continue to ignore me, I'm going to turn up the heat a little bit. If you continue to ignore me, I'll turn it up more. And if you continue to ignore me, if you fully reject me, then I have to deal with the injustice, which is the captivity that he's hearing. So let's go back to chapter 4 again. And again, this is not on your screen. I just want you to listen for a key phrase as I read to you chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. How before we ever get to this moment in chapter 5, God has already tried to help his people. He says, also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. Fancy way of saying you haven't had any food to chew. 
Lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I also withheld rain from you. When there were still three months to the harvest, I made it rain in one city. I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained on, and where it did not rain, that part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water. But they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I blasted you with blight and mildew when your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, the locusts devoured them. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt, the young men I killed with a sword along with your captive horses. I made the stench of your camps come up into your nostrils, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Did you catch the key phrase? Five times he says, yet you have not returned to me. You see, when we read that, it's important for you to understand that what God is describing especially as you take this from Old Testament and you apply this to a Christ follower living today. Are there times where I feel the pain from my sin? I feel the consequences from choices I make? Absolutely. Can God use those to turn me back to himself? Absolutely. Is God trying to get you? I don't think so. And one guy I like to listen to, Joe Foch out of Philadelphia, will say, all the getting is done because it was done on Jesus Christ on the cross and he said, it is finished. God's not trying to get you. God wasn't really trying to get Israel. He was trying to get them back. That is the heart of the father who despite all of the things that his people had done, he wanted to bring them back. In fact, uh, one commentator, A.J. Motier, puts it this way. He says that the face which God turns toward the world is predominantly one of mercy. That wrath, when it comes at all, comes late and overdue. And as the Bible permits us to say, accompanied by the tears of God over recalcitrant and impenitent sinners. That is exactly what Amos 4 and 5 show you. That for all intent and purposes, if we met the people of Israel like back in verse 6, before the first time he says, you haven't returned to me, we would look at that and say, God, what are you waiting for? If God is so good, why won't he deal with this? If you were the poor person, the person in need, you would be saying, God, when are you going to deal with these horrible people in Israel? I I'm not even looking for handouts. I'm just trying to get something fair, and they're crushing me. I thought you were a good God. Right? From all intent and purposes, from our perspective, we would say, what is taking God so long to deal with these Israelites? But this is why. In God's mercy, when he finally brings wrath, we would probably think it's too late. Because he wants to give them one more chance, one more chance, one more chance to turn. And when he does that, he continues to show them who he is. You see how he's turning them back, not just to behavior, He's turning them back to worship first. Verses 12 and 13, he describes himself. He says, Therefore thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. 
For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind, who declares to man what his thought is and makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places of the earth, the Lord, God of hosts, is his name. Prepare to meet your God. That's either really beautiful or really scary. He's giving them the choice. He's giving us the choice. So how do we solve this? And what if we can't? Well, what I like about what Amos does in chapter 5, in the midst of all of this wrath, all of this judgment, all of these consequences, you see that he doesn't leave them without a solution. In fact, for their twofold problem, he's going to give them a twofold solution. Seek me and live. Seek good, not evil that you may live. Essentially, it's seek God and seek good. And notice that it's got to come in that order. You see, too often we think, all right, I've got to be a good person. I've got to avoid evil things. I'll try not to be a bad boy anymore. And if I do enough good things, then when I, then when I seek God, he'll say, all right, you're doing pretty good. Even in the life of a Christ follower, it's easy to fall in this rhythm where I feel distant from God and maybe I haven't been living the way I was supposed to over here. Or maybe I've been, you know, I'm watching stuff or doing stuff. that maybe that's not really. Okay. Um, so I don't feel like praying right now. But I'll try to stop so that next time I pray I don't have to feel guilty. That's backwards. <laughs> Seek me comes first. Check this out. Amos 5 verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel. Seek me. And live. But do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Verse 6 Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, with no one to quench it in Bethel. You who turn to justice to wormwood and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. Okay, so catch this phrase. Look at who he's talking to. You who turn justice to wormwood. Right? You let justice rot and you bury righteousness in the ground so that not only do you not have righteousness, but now no one else does either. That's who he's talking to when he says, seek the Lord and live. Which tells me, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you could do, there is a loving, merciful, patient God who in the midst of Amos 4 and 5 stops to say, seek the Lord and live. An invitation to return to him. Now if you told me that the difference between life and death is seek the Lord, I don't know about you, but I, I want to know how. <laughs> what? What does that look like? What, what does seek mean then? And so I want to show you guys real quick. I'm, I'm going to keep coming back to this Blue Letter Bible app. It is one of my absolute favorite Bible study tools because there's so much stuff packed in here. And so I've got it open to Amos 5 right now. And you can see here verse 6. All I do is I tap verse 6. And I want to show you right at the top there, interlinear slash concordance. Now, if you don't know what those words mean, don't sweat it. Interlinear basically means it's going to show you the Hebrew in the Old Testament, the Greek in the New Testament. And it won't even matter if you know the Hebrew or Greek or not. So don't panic. Concordance means it's going to show you where this word shows up in other places in the Bible. 
So if I tap interlinear concordance, look here, our first word that shows up in verse 6 is seek. And over on the left side is the Hebrew for it. And we're going to tap the Hebrew because look at what happens now when I pull up this word. You don't even have to know how to pronounce it. They'll pronounce it for you. But it has all the definitions of what this word means, how it's used. And as you scroll further down, it'll show you all the places that this Hebrew word shows up in the Bible. It's through this that we can see that this word, seek, is the word darash. It's what Saul did not do that David did. It means things like to ask, to diligently seek, to follow, and to worship. All built into this one word. And so sometimes darash just means something as simple as I'm trying to find something. But when it's used about God, it involves all of these things. So how could you seek God this week? How could you diligently search for him? Well, one way is something we're doing together right now. Time in his word. And when you spend time in God's word, I, I know there are places where like, I, I've been reading through the Pentateuch, those first five books, and there's stuff that like I read that page and that was my reading for today. And um, Lord, help me remember uh, who gets which part of what city. Amen. What, do I, what exactly do I do with this page? <laughs> Maybe I should read one more page. Like there are places that are confusing. There are places that are difficult. It's where I love an app like this. It has commentary built into it. But I've also noticed that as I keep reading, the Spirit shows you things. Even if you haven't been to seminary, even if you haven't read the whole Bible yet, you know, things jump out at you. Sometimes they raise questions. That's why it's beautiful to ask. When I hit something challenging, instead of feeling like, man, I've got doubts and maybe I don't believe, you just say, hey, here's a good question I'd love to follow up on. To ask God, hey, what does this passage tell me about you? What does it tell me about myself? And, and what do you want me to do? And then be ready to follow. Right? That's part of seeking, being ready to obey what God calls us to do. Because ultimately, that's how we worship you see, when that is in place, then Amos feels like we're ready for that next piece because all of this stuff is about how we worship before he ever comes back to justice, righteousness, giving. If we're going to do these offerings, we're going to do these tithes, but we do it without worship, it's empty. And that's why I think it's easy in a, in a book like this, especially in our culture, guys. I know that when you hear the word justice and injustice, like our media, our culture, our current historical moment packs a lot into that word. But what I find so painful as I hear all of these conversations around us, how many times have you heard conversations on the news that say, we need to seek justice, and that starts by worshiping the one true God? I don't hear that. And what ends up happening is we all come into it with our own agendas, our own hurts, our own pain, but at the center of Amos' message is that none of that works unless we seek God first. Then, and only then, he comes down to verse 14 where he says, seek good. Now you're ready. Now you're ready to seek good and not evil that you may live. It goes hand in hand with worship to God himself. Seek good and not evil that you may live so the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. 
And it may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Don't miss that word remnant. That word means that despite everything else going on, despite how I can flip to later pages in the Bible and see that this captivity happened, the remnant means that there were still individuals. There were men and women who heard this message and did return to God, who did seek him, who did seek good. You know, so I told you how I struggled with, with generosity in my own life. And as I sort of grew through this thing, one of the conversations that was really helpful to me with a friend was I was talking to a guy who had uh, built his own business, sold his business, built another business. And, and for him, he was always asking himself, how can I make more money? How can I save more money? How can I build this investment in my business so that it's worth more money? Then he started to really lean into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as he described to me, because of his time with Jesus, his question shift from how can I save more to how can I give more? He started volunteering down at City Gospel Mission, thinking, hey, here's, here's one easy thing that Horizon set up for us. I'll go check it out. And as he was there, he heard that, you know, it's really great to not just serve the meal, but to get to know a person. You know, meet somebody at one of those tables where this may be the only meal they have today. And as he got to know them, he started to feel like, man, eating with them is great, but I, I feel like I've got more to give. And so he started uh, volunteering on kind of on the back end of their program where they need mentorship for individuals. Walking a path for six months up to a couple of years with one guy. Helping him get his feet back under him. Helping him understand who God is and, and what God wants for his life. And then he started seeing as he spent time there, you know what? I think there's another need like right on the edge of the periphery that isn't quite happening here yet. And so out of the midst of that mentoring, he actually started his own not-for-profit to meet that particular need. And so I'd encourage you. I, I decided not to make a list of like five ways that you could be generous, help the poor, or, or give today. Because I think you guys get this. Because that's just one story. I could tell you multiple stories just from people I've met at Horizon where you have seen God turn your life around and you have been able to share that back with other people. I could tell you multiple stories just from this community of people who have said, I see a need that no one else seems to know how to meet. I'm going to get some friends together. We're going to form a board. We're going to put together an organization. We're going to meet that need in the name of Jesus Christ. Guys, it's incredible. You know, and for you, it may be that that's you. You're like, you know what? I'm writing that down. Start a 501c3 this afternoon. I've done it. It sounds hard. It's actually not that hard. Just, just a little bit of time consuming. It may be that there's one person, one opportunity, just a place to put a toe in the water. Because I'll tell you what. Giving is worship. When you give to Horizon... Don't do it like I did. Don't say, dear God, please don't be mad at me. Here's 10 bucks. Here's 10%. Here's 11%. I'd like a room with a view when I get to heaven. <laughs> when you give to Horizon, it's because you love God. When you help the poor, when you help the needy, when you give of your time, make sure you have those things in order. We seek God first and we seek good with him. Because, you know, Psalm 14 Psalm 53 and Romans 3 all tell us that there is no one who seeks God unless he seeks them first. 
And Jesus Christ, the king of my heart, says that he came to seek and save what was lost. Because he seeks us, we seek him. And that's our key takeaway today. Seek God and seek good. Would you pray with me? Lord, God of hosts, help us to seek you more and to stay in your word. Show us where we can seek good for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Go ye therefore, seek God, seek good, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for coming.